The 1-0 delivery by the Nationals right-hander is whacked in the air into right center deep. Get up! Get out of here and gone for Christian Yelich! 16th of the year. Wow. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. I know we haven't talked about it a whole lot this week. The Brewers, look out now, they're playing some pretty damn good baseball. Today, earlier this afternoon, you would have heard it on WKTY, winning game three of three, sweeping the Nationals seven to three, and that, of course, following last weekend's sweep of the New York Mets. Yes, that's not that difficult of math. That's six wins in a row, and the Brewers find themselves a good stretch of games over 500. Six, or excuse me, seven games over 500. New high watermark on the season, and now they get a day off tomorrow, and uh, wouldn't you know it, Two pretty hot teams going to match up this weekend. The Brewers and the Cubs uh, now staring down at each other. And look, nothing ever gets uncomfortable there, right? That rivalry never gets out of hand. Brewers playing some pretty good baseball right now. We only have an hour every night here on the Wisco Sports Show, so we got we to gotta prioritize, right? And, and luckily, at least in the last year or so, we've had a lot of interesting things to talk about on this show. I mean, the Packers weren't great, but they switched coaches. Uh, they're, they're into a, a new front office structure. Just had the draft, right? The Bucks have been balling. I, I still don't think we give the Bucks enough credit. We talk about them damn near every day with how good they are playing as they're going to try to close out round number two tonight. And we'll get to that later. We haven't had enough time to talk about the Brewers. Right now, the Brewers are balling. Six wins in a row. And we talked about the Mets win over, over the weekend. Said, man, the, the pitching really came through. Because if, if you compare the Mets series, which was a sweep, to the Rockies series, which was last week, they split it. The last two games against the Rockies, the, Brewer gave, the Brewers gave up 11 runs and 11 runs. They lost the final two games of that series, 11-4 and 11-6. And the pitching staff is in shambles. It's, it's a disaster. It's a mess. Freddie Peralta was injured. Now you're trying to bring him back, and it didn't go well. And in Corbin Burns, is he a starter in the minors, the majors, or is he in the bullpen? I, and Brandon Woodruff has, has been pretty good, and he's kind of flying under the radar. Like, well, what do you do? With this pitching staff, not just the starters, not just the bullpen, but as a whole, because Brewers couldn't get out, get out last week. They couldn't get out. Going to the weekend, and their pitching staff gets it together a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong, the Mets certainly aren't the offensive ball club that the Rockies are, or the Cardinals, or the Cubs, or the Dodgers, and neither are the Nationals. I think that's maybe what we learned the last couple of days, is the Nationals just, they really stink. That being said, the Brewers getting their pitching staff organized, getting their ducks in a row and going out and performing. Now, the Mets series, they gave up three, four, and three runs. Against the Nationals, their offense came to play. Their bats came to play. Brewers scoring seven, six, and five runs after a Mets series where they scored three, four, and three. Bats getting a little bit better. Pitching continues to be well, including one of these games is a shutout. And, and not of the most conventional style. Freddie Peralta getting back into the starting rotation, but this time he gets an opener to start things for him, and that was the game the Brewers shut out the Nationals 6-0. So I want to talk about that, because I think that's fascinating. Because now Craig Council's got himself in an interesting position where, wow, that that actually worked really well. Is it something we're going to continue to do using an opener for Freddie Peralta? So we'll talk about that later as well. If you want to chat Brewers, 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talking text line. I'd love 
to talk some Brewers baseball with you. We're talking about six Brewers wins in a row, seven games over 500. They sit at 23 and 16. They get tomorrow off, and then they're back again on Friday to start a weekend set with the Cubs at Wrigley Field. Really interesting things from both this National Series and from the Met Series as well. Brandon Woodruff got the start today. Brandon Woodruff, for all the hype that Corbin Burns had, and, and I was really excited, I'll be the first to admit about Freddie Peralta, and I'm still excited about Freddie Peralta, but Brandon Woodruff was the one guy who it, we, we knew hopefully would be good. We saw some experience, we saw some flashes, especially last year in the postseason, of what he was capable of. But he certainly didn't have the hype of Corbin Burns. Today he went six innings, one and run, nine strikeouts and zero walks. He's five and one. Brandon Woodruff is five and one. Five and one. If you would ask me earlier today, Grant, what's Brandon Woodruff's record? I was like, I don't know, two, two and two, two, three and two. I don't know. Five and one. Brandon Woodruff's five and one. And he's the guy who, let's be real, going into the season, I think had the least hype. Brandon Woodruff has now won his last three starts. And in those three starts, going 16 innings, only three earned runs, an ERA of one, six, nine. Brandon Woodruff's making stuff happen, and, and the conversations around well, what are they going? What are they going to do with Corbin Burns? Is Freddie Peralta going to? Are they going to continue to use an opener? Like, like what's the direction they're headed there? Well, Brandon Woodruff might have just figured the damn thing out quietly by himself under the radar. Last three starts, ERA under one seven, sixteen innings pitched, only three earned runs. He got it done today, six innings. We were talking about that six inning mark, right? Four and two-thirds ain't going to cut it. Five innings ain't going to cut it. Need to get a little bit farther. He gave you a full six uh, with nine strikeouts and only one earned run. And the Brewers pitching staff as a whole, we talked about before this national series that it got it in shape against the Mets. They had to win some closer games over the weekend. But against the Nationals as well, that pitching staff continuing to roll. Now, this is from yesterday. This is a stat I dug up before today's game. So this afternoon's game, notwithstanding, during what would have been a five-game winning streak before today's game, the Brewers pitchers have a 1.5 ERA. 54 innings pitched, only nine earned runs. 54 divided by nine, what is that? One run every six innings. Opponents were batting before today, 1.76. 0.176 batting average. That's 33 for 188 during that streak. Before today. Now, today wouldn't have, wouldn't have messed up those numbers too much. The Brewers only, only gave up three runs today. They scored seven, so it, it got a little close towards the end. They brought in Josh Hader just to make sure. A lot of base runners at the end. You never want to get too cute. But, but the Brewers pitching staff right now, compared to a week ago, is night and day difference. We, we, that pitching staff was in shambles last week. They didn't know who was going to make their next start. Chase Anderson going out, oh crap, well, we got to bring Burns back in, or we're going to bring Adrian Hauser in to make a spot start. What are we going to do? Of course, Junior Garrett could probably start. And, and now we're talking about a, a little bit of a routine, a little bit of continuity, which we talked about last week, I remember very clearly. The Brewers don't need superstar-level pitching right now. They just need to get things organized. They need to get into a routine to allow Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff to establish themselves and to learn how to be a starting pitcher in the MLB. Because this is a first for all of them this year. A day one, or should I say a, a, a start one from the beginning of the year starting pitcher. Obviously, they can't all start on opening day. Full year, not up and down, not, well, we're going to bring you up when the rosters expand. No, you are part of the rotation. There's a learning curve that goes with that. And now that they're all healthy, and now that there's a little bit of consistency and continuity, I think the Brewers pitchers are finally coming around. As you heard when we started the Wisco Sports Show, Christian Yelich went yard again today. Number 16. And I am I'm blown away, not because... 
Christian Yelich is hitting the ball, not because he's being productive. I, I, that's almost become routine for us. I, I think we need to remind ourselves, Christian Yelich, man, he when the Brewers traded for this guy, he was not a home run hitter. I, I saw this was tweeted out today, and I said, I got to share this. Somebody from ESPN Milwaukee tweeted this out. When Christian Yelich was with the Marlins, he had 2,812 career plate appearances, and he hit 59 home runs. 2,812 plate appearances, 59 home runs. So far with the Brewers, he's got 790 at-bats, and he's hit 52. That's insane to me. How his power has spiked in the last year. And yes, I know Miller Park's much more hitter-friendly ballpark, but you don't go... Those numbers are so inflated and so out of proportion. It doesn't matter if you're playing on the moon with no gravity. Like You you don't see a power spike like that. Christian Yelich is continuing to mash the ball. Adam McKelvey of Brewers.com and MLB.com tweeted out today as well, and this, I thought this is fascinating as well. Five of Christian Yelich's 16 home runs have come in the first inning of the game. 11 of those 16 home runs have come within the first two pitches of an at-bat. Christian Yelich got to be aggressive early. Got to jump out and get in front of that pitcher. Be aggressive early before they have a chance to settle in. And Brewers fans know that better than anyone. Brewers sometimes, pitchers sometimes just take time to settle into a game. Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, we've seen. How many times have we seen that, right? Christian Yelich maybe figured a little something, something out. Well, if I go after this pitcher in the second at bat of the game before he's really feeling it, before he's really in a routine, and maybe I put a little extra oomph in my swing, I can buy us an extra run or two, depending on if Lorenzo Cain's on base in front of me. Interesting strategy. Interesting strategy. We got a lot of Brewers to talk today. We'll get to Bucks coming up at 5.30 because they will return for Game 5 tonight as they look to close out the Celtics in uh, the style of a gentleman's sweep. Now, there was some big news today. Brewers, or uh, uh, Bucks, rather, going to get Malcolm Brogdon back tonight. So I want to talk all about that because I am jacked. Uh, yesterday, we had a little fun at the expense of Marcus Smart. Uh, a little bit different situation here. I'll tell you why. So that's coming up at 5.30. Otherwise, I want to talk about interesting strategies with the Milwaukee Brewers. It's an interesting strategy. Christian Yelich may be thinking, maybe if, if I jump on this pitcher early, second at bat of the game, particularly early on in an at bat, which I just talked about, maybe I can buy us an extra run before this pitcher really has a chance to settle into things. Another interesting strategy, that was from Craig Council and his starting pitchers, particularly Freddie Peralta. I want to talk about that because I'm fascinated, and I want to get your opinion as well. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on, presented by Played Against Sports, back in a moment here on WKTY. I think he's throwing the ball very well all year, really. I mean, I know he had, some, he had a couple starts where you know it was a bad inning that got him, but um, he's definitely going in the right way, the right way, um, and gaining confidence. I think, um, and it's just good all around today. It was a solid, solid start. Talking Brewers on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. I'm your host Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. It is a it's an awful day. It's a crummy day, and the Brewers' excitement, the Brewers' positivity, and the upcoming Bucks game tonight. Getting me through it. Glad you uh, taking some time to hang out. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. You can join me there to talk Brewers. Hunter says, super encouraging to see this pitching staff starting to come around. This is a team we expected to see this season. And it shows how good this team can be when they get good pitching. Their offense will score runs, but how good they can be will hinge on their pitching as we've seen in the first 35 to 40 games. Appreciate the text. Hunter Andrew says, glad to see the pitching staff is figuring it out. Great to see this rebound after a horrible couple of series last week. Council and the Brewers coaching staff are continuing to be proactive and finding new ways to win. I love it. 
Andrew, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you brought that up because I do want to talk about this Brewers coaching staff, whether that's Craig Council or any one of his assistants. They are finding interesting and new ways to win. We saw it last year. The Brewers had a luxury that very few teams have ever had, and that was a bullpen that had three guys who were closer quality arms all pitching at the top of their game. They had guys in middle relief like Corbin Burns who were lights out, and then they added supplementary arms through trading. Uh, Xavier Cedeno and, and Joaquin Soria, for if, for example. I mean, they had weapons upon weapons, arms on arms in that bullpen last year, and they were able to manage their starting pitching a little bit differently, and they had some luxuries that other teams didn't have. Now, this year, that's not necessarily the case. They've dealt with consistency issues from some of those younger pitchers like Freddie Peralta, like Corbin Burns. Luckily, Zach Davies has been a rock, and Brandon Woodruff has been, at least recently as well. He's won his last three starts. ERA under 1-7, 16 innings pitched, 3 and runs his last three outings. Brandon Woodruff has not been bad. The other two starting pitchers, they've needed to get creative. Because you don't want to shatter the confidence of a young pitcher. You don't want to send him down. You don't want to move him to the bullpen if you can avoid it. So Craig Council and his staff are trying some different things. They're finding new ways to win, or at least attempting to find new ways to win. Uh, the Brewers won 6-0 to in Game 2 of what turned out to be a three-game sweep earlier this afternoon. Now, the win went to Freddie Peralta. Freddie Peralta pitched the majority of the innings. He pitched five, but he didn't get the start. Adrian Hauser did. This is how it shook down. Adrian Hauser got the first two innings. It wasn't pretty, but he got through it unscathed. No earned runs. Freddie Peralta then took over in the third and pitched five innings. Only three hits. A lot of strikes. A lot of strikes. And, and, and five strikeouts through those five innings as well. And then the last two innings were handled by Burke Smith. Okay. Freddie Peralta didn't get the start, but he might as well have, I guess. He ate the majority of the innings. Where those innings fall, I guess, isn't as important to me. But as Andrew said, finding new ways to win. Finding new ways to make the players that you have work. Because I know Dallas Keuchel's out there. I know Craig Kimbrell's out there. But they're not. They're going to wait till after the draft. That's what, these, that's what these teams are waiting on. You start signing guys now, you have to give up compensation through the draft. If you start trading now, you, you, teams don't want to trade away players right now. It's too early. Contenders and pretenders and buyers and sellers have yet to be separated. Like For the time being, the teams are what the teams are are the Brewers aren't getting help from outside. And for the most part, they're not really touching their minor league system because their minor league system is, is, is in the majors. That's Peralta, that's Burns, that's Woodruff. Those are their, their homegrown arms that they've been cultivating and, 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 and been getting excited about the last couple of years. So, so they've been making it work with what they have. Freddie Peralta got the win of five innings, no earned runs. Well, that was the game they shut the Nationals out. Anyways, nobody gave up runs earned or under earned six to zero. That was game two of the three-game sweep. Craig Council joked after the game, he, 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 reporters, you know, kind of probing, saying, well, the opener worked, are you going to do it again? And, and Craig Council said, well, I, I don't know, it worked so well. Shut him out through seven innings, and all, all we had to use was Adrian Hauser and Freddie Peralta. Like, that worked pretty well. And there was a laugh. You know, there was some humor in there. But 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 wait wait a minute, right? Are, are we on to something? Let's be real. If Adrian Hauser and Freddie Peralta uh, can combine for seven innings of shutout ball... And seven innings is the more important part. If they would have given up one or two runs, pfft, there's no difference there to me. Seven innings. I, I, I'm, I'm looking at that again. I'm, I'm maybe thinking, well, if it works out the next time Freddie Peralta's spot is due up in the rotation, do we do it again? If the bullpen lines up and if Hauser's fresh, like, is that something we're going to do again? This is how management is supposed to work. This is how a coaching staff is supposed to work. And let's let's step out of sports for a moment. One of my pet peeves 
is when sports radio shows or sports TV shows make it about life. This team is Google. This team is Netflix. It's, it's, sports are not real life, okay? <laughs> like, sports are completely different. And I think it's obnoxious sometimes when sports hosts try to make sports into real life. They try to compare a head coach in the NFL to a manager at, at a local business. It's, it doesn't shake out that way. In this instance, though, use common sense, right? Craig Council says, all right, this is the personnel that we have. Let's try this. See if it sticks. And it does stick. Now, he's not saying, well, well no, it's not the way baseball is meant to be played. It's, it's not, no, we got to go back to the way he's saying, well, no, it, it worked pretty well. Let's, let's maybe try it again and, and, and see what kind of result we get. That's how management is supposed to work. Now, I can't speak for your place of work, but I'd like to think if I went to my boss and said, yeah, um, I've been doing the show. This has been working really well, but, but, it, but if I could change this one little thing, I think it would help the flow of the show. Right, if I could change this one little thing, I think we could get better guests on the show. Right, if I change this one little thing, I, I man, I, I think we'd get more callers. I think the listeners would want to call in and talk all day. I'd like to think my boss would say, hmm, let's try it. Let's try it. If it works, if it, I, I, I think that's a good idea too. Let's see if that works, and, and, and if it does, go, go to town. What's the worst kind of boss, the worst kind of manager? Thinks they're way smarter than anyone and everyone else. And any suggestions, any comments, any analysis from anyone else is discarded as I've been here so long. You, I, Man, you don't know half of what I know. I've been doing this my whole life. You don't know anything. I've been working here 10 more years than you have. I get paid more than you do. I don't want to hear your ideas. I don't want to hear your advice. Not only is that demeaning, right? Not only is that condescending, but you're not going to get the best result. The business is not going to run at top, at top efficiency. It's the same in baseball. It's the same in sports. Craig Council has a unique situation right now where he has an arm in Freddie Peralta who has proven at times to not just be good, but, but dominant, to potentially dominant. Strikes a lot of guys out. He has some issues, mostly getting the game under control in the first and second inning. That leads to walks. That leads to runs. That leads to a high pitch count, which leads to a short start, which impacts the bullpen, which impacts the whole team. Well, if we can solve that one problem by taking Adrian Hauser and just letting him start the game... Because Adrian Hauser is probably coming in with more of a reliever mentality and not thinking with a long game in mind. Freddie Peralta is then able to come in in the third. The game has, has settled into itself. It's kind of calmed down, at least in May, right? It's May, it's May 8th, right? I, I don't think the third inning of any May 8th game, uh, unless it's a Cubs game, is really ultimately that stressful. Craig Council saying, well, let's try this. Let's try to solve this problem this way. And if it works, let's... Let's maybe keep doing it. Let's not ignore what could be a good idea, what could be potentially effective, because it doesn't fit with the blueprint, because it doesn't fit with what I've always done or what has always been done by others, right? Those are the worst kind of... I've had bosses like that. It's annoying. I've had bosses like that, where, there's, where I try to make a suggestion and they laugh it off. They don't even take it seriously. It's like, well... <laughs> Then why am I here? Then what are we doing? Are we trying to be the best business that we can? Are we trying to provide the best service to the customer that we can? Same in baseball. Are we trying to win games? Because if we're trying to win a game on a Tuesday afternoon in May, and Freddie Peralta can't get through the first and second inning, maybe we would be better served to use an opener. Maybe we would be better served to let Adrian Hauser start the game. Even if it's just for two innings. That's all, that's all it would take. And if Freddie Peralta's ego is okay with that, which, let's be real, I hope it would be, because Freddie Peralta, outside of one start, hasn't been that great. 
more power to them. More power to the Brewers. And, and look, anytime you can get through a game, shutting out the opponent and only going through three hitter or three pitchers, man, I don't care who those three pitchers are. I don't care what order they pitched, and something worked. That's a good recipe. Let's try that again because it's effective. Brewers got something working right now. And don't get me wrong. We talked while the Brewers were playing the Cardinals, while they were playing the Dodgers, and they were struggling. I said, look, all of these losses, all these struggles, all these issues that the Brewers are having need to be taken with a grain of salt because the Cardinals are just that good. The Dodgers are just that good. The Rockies can hit the ball pretty well. They scored 11 runs in back-to-back games. Now, not to say that the Brewers didn't have some concerns and still don't have concerns in the starting rotation and in the bullpen and, and don't face some inconsistencies, minus the home run in the offense. But it's funny what happens when you get a three-game set against the Mets or you get a three-game set against the Nationals or three-game sets against both of those teams back-to-back and now all of a sudden you've swept two series and you're on a six-game winning streak. Playing some of your best ball since the first week of the season or so. And now you get a day off and who else? Who else would you want? Staring down a game against the Cubs on Friday. Weekend series at Wrigley Field. 608-796-2558, the Five Star Telecom talk and text line. I want to transition to some Bucks talk, but before we do, Rug says, this is all he got. Ready? I dislike the Cubs. Rug, might have been the best comment today. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> I dislike the Cubs, too. Thank you. We're looking at Cubs Brewers on Friday. We'll continue to talk about that as the week goes on. And, of course, uh, those games will be heard right here on WKTY Weekend Series. Down at the friendly confines, in my opinion, the not-so-friendly confines. Of Wrigley Field. The Bucks are in the friendly confines of the Pfizer Forum tonight, and they will have a very uh, much-needed reinforcement on the way. Well, maybe they don't need it, but certainly welcome. That's Malcolm Brogdon. It looks like he's going to play for the first time uh, in a while tonight, coming back from that plantar fascia injury. We'll talk about that and maybe what tonight's Buck game, Bucks game will look like, even with Malcolm Brogdon inserted somewhere into the rotation. Let's talk Bucks coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Play It Again Sports, right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. You can always stream us live, WKTYsports.com, and on our mobile app as well. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. I want to talk Bucks. Well, we have to talk Bucks. We got to talk Bucks Celtics while we still can. They're looking to close out the series tonight. They're up 3 1. Looking to make it a gentleman's sweep at the Pfizer Forum tonight. Before we talk Bucks Celtics, I can we talk about this for a sec? For those of you who, uh, who who may not be in the loop or may not care, I'm I'm, I'm going to tell you anyway. So the Lakers are trying to to hire Ty Lue as their head coach, and a couple of days ago it seemed all but a done deal, and, and now they have reached an impasse. They can't make the deal get done. Uh, because guess why? An old friend of the Milwaukee Bucks, Jason Kidd. Well, uh, the Lakers want Jason Kidd on Ty Lue's staff. And it, Ty Lue doesn't want that, and I can understand why. Because Jason Kidd likes to pull power moves. He likes to go behind people's backs. And, oh, by the way, if there's ever a, a reason, ever an example on why Jason Kidd is not a good coach, it's this year's Milwaukee Bucks team. Jason Kidd, he's a gift who keeps on giving. I just love his name keeps popping up, making issues everywhere. I absolutely love it. Luckily, the Bucks are no longer coached by Jason Kidd. They're coached by Mike Budenholzer, uh, and they will try to close out the Celtics, like I said tonight. The big news of the day is that Malcolm Brogdon is back. He uh, he has been cleared. He, he is ready to go, albeit on a minutes restriction. Of course, tonight he's not going to be in the starting lineup. They'll probably continue to run with Nikola Miritich unless something else changed. Malcolm Brogdon coming back isn't going to change that. 
And here's what frustrated me. Malcolm Brogdon might be one of the more underrated players in the NBA. I'm not going to say he's the most underrated player. But but Malcolm Brogdon, he's freaking good. He's just good. He's a tremendous player. Makes the right plays. He's efficient. He takes the right shots. He's a 50-40-90 player. 90-50-40-50-90-40, whatever you want to say. 90% from the free throw line. 50% from the field and 40% from beyond the three-point arc, which is incredibly difficult to do. And that speaks to the type of player Malcolm Brogdon is, which is why he fits so well on this Bucks team and why he is, he's, I don't want to call him a glue guy because that's a cliche and I think it does Malcolm Brogdon a disservice. He is part of uh, this team and, and, and one of the guys who really makes all the other pieces click. I don't know if that makes him a glue guy or a grease guy or what it would be. The team's just better with him out there. And I can't imagine he will be 100% instantly coming back into this lineup. But we talked about last week. Malcolm Brogdon's game does not rely on being faster, stronger, quicker, more athletic. It, it relies on, on being smart and making the right play, taking the right shot, being in the right place at the right time. Malcolm Brogdon is probably best served or better served than most other NBA players when coming back from injury. His game it does not require physical dominance. Like Giannis coming back from a from a, a very difficult injury, God forbid, it would take some time. It would take some testing. It would take some mental fortitude because he's such a physical player. That ain't Malcolm Brogdon, right? He's not jumping out of the gym. He, he he's not he's not hitting breakneck speed to outrun an entire five man defense, right? Like it, it, that's not his game. So I do think he can be effective and he will be useful, uh, albeit possibly rusty, uh, coming back from an, an extended injury. I saw earlier today, this made me scratch my head. I was on Twitter, and it was either Radio Joe or Bill uh, during the Bill Michaels show, which you, of course, can hear on WK2I every afternoon, 11 to 2, is saying, Bucks fans, would you bring Malcolm Brogdon back, or would you continue to rest him the rest of the series? What would you do? And I saw that. I why, why, why would you continue to rest him? Why would you continue? If he's healthy, play him. If he was healthy Friday, I would have played him. If he was healthy Monday, I would have played him. Get him back on the floor. Get some minutes under his belt. Get some shots under his belt. Get him back, work him back into a routine, into the rotation. So hopefully when the Bucks close things out in Boston after tonight and they're moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals, Malcolm Brogdon's got, he's got his feet under him. Right, when Nikola Mirotic came back from injury, end of the regular season, beginning of that Piston series, what did we talk about? I said, look, if I was Coach Budenholzer and I was the coaching staff, knowing the situation the Bucks were in, I would give Nikola Mirotic run with the second unit. I would give him run off of the bench. And I would say, look, Nico, we're going to play you five minutes in the third quarter. Whatever you feel you need to do to, to get the train back onto the tracks and to start feeling like an NBA player, like a competitive, useful NBA player as part of a rotation on a team, whatever you got to do, do it. If that means you need to shoot seven threes in a span of five minutes, go to town. I, I don't care. Because right now, it is more important for us to get our players healthy and to get them reinstated into the lineup and in feeling good and feeling confident and shaking the cobwebs out. It's more important to do that than to play the prettiest game possible. Look, I think the Bucks. well, look, they've won three in a row against the Celtics without Malcolm Brogdon. I have no doubt, I have no lack of confidence that the Bucks can close out the Celtics with Malcolm Brogdon. It's the future. It's what is to come and you're going to need every single horse in your stable ready to go at 100%. And right now, Malcolm Brogdon is not there. 
Another week of rest is not going to help Malcolm Brogdon. What's going to help him, assuming he is medically cleared to play and he's not being rushed? That's the big variable here. Don't rush him back for the injury, but once he's healthy, put him on the damn floor. Players are meant to be played. Get him on the floor. And I'd say, Malcolm, look, here's where we're going to try to give you run in this game. And I want you to do whatever you feel you need to do to start to get back into a rhythm. That means you don't want to shoot and you just want to be out there as a facilitator, as a positioning guy, fine. If you need to shoot threes, if you need to shoot mid-range jumpers, if you need to get lanes of the paint, tell me, and we'll try to run stuff for you. Our focus now is getting you back to 100%. Malcolm Brogdon doesn't need more rest. He is not served by getting more rest. He is served best by getting back out there, and, and, and I think the best analogy is to just shake the cobwebs off. When you are, are coming back from a huge injury, being medically cleared is one thing. Well, let's take Brogdon for an example. It's a foot injury. All right, your foot is 100% to go. You are medically cleared. You are 100% healthy, and you should have no limitations on the floor. Medically, that's fine. Physically, that's fine. Mentally, that's another thing. When you return to competition, when you return to play, there's a lot of steps to go through, right? That's why rehab, like Jabari Parker's rehab, didn't end the second that he checked back into uh, to the game for the Milwaukee Bucks after a second ACL tear. That's not how it worked. It's a, long, it's a long road. Now, for an ACL tear, especially number two, it's, it's a much longer road. For a foot injury, you need to get back out onto the floor. Start to feel the pace of an NBA game again because practice is different. Shoot-around is different. Scrimmages is different than an NBA game. You need to get back into that rhythm. You need to start to feel the speed, start to feel the pressure, start to feel the crowd, and, and kind of mentally and physically acclimate yourself to the speed of competition, to the roughness uh, and the competition uh, of an NBA game. You can't do that just taking another week off. You can't, once you're 100% healthy, you can't get healthier, right? Malcolm Brock doesn't need rest. What is he resting from? What is he resting for? He's been resting for the last two months. He's been injured for the last two months. He's not served by getting more rest. He needs to get out there and acclimate himself once again. And it, it, I, I, I just, man, it, it blew my mind when I saw that today. Blew my mind. Celtics get Marcus Smart back off that off that oblique tear, and you saw yesterday. Maybe Marcus Smart just trying to shoot himself back into the swing of things. He took seven threes yesterday. Now Marcus Smart is not a good three point shooter. He has the attitude of Clay Thompson or Steph Curry in the body of DeAndre Liggins. Uh, the realist Bucks fans will remember him from a couple of years ago. We've been using him as an example the last couple of weeks. He's got the the attitude of a guy who cannot shoot threes. Not a good three-point shooter, but he went out there and he heaped seven threes. Only made one. But he did it because he's trying to acclimate himself. He's trying to get back into the game. He was awful. I believe he was a minus 16 on his time on the court. He was bad, but his goal was to get out there and start to feel the pace of the game again, start to feel the speed of the game and reacclimate himself uh, to life on an NBA court. Malcolm Brogdon needs to do the same, and Malcolm Brogdon is a much better player than Marcus Smart, and it's not close. I tweeted earlier today, you can follow me at Keystroker Grant, Rachel Nichols, among just about everybody else, on NBA Twitter, tweeting, Malcolm Brogdon is going to be back tonight. Budenholzer says he's going to be on a minutes restriction, he's going to come off the bench. And I quote tweeted this. I commented and said, essentially, this is like Boston getting Marcus Smart back. If Marcus Smart was good. So I guess it's not really the same at all. Like It's, it's not. Malcolm Brogdon is an exponentially better player than Marcus Smart. Now, believe it or not, they, they do have a similar effect on their teams. I do think there was a bit of a morale boost. Uh, when Marcus Smart came back in the other night, I, I do think he, his competitive attitude and, and his, his snarky and sometimes uh, uh, 
agitative personality gets under the skin of, of the opposition and, and helps uh, rally his own teammates around uh, around Brad Stevens and around Kyrie Irving. And I do think that'll help Boston. I don't know how much Marcus Smart's going to play tonight. I cannot imagine how loud it is going to be in the Pfizer form tonight. It's already a closeout game. They're already going uh, for the for the gentleman's sweep in five games to go to the Eastern Conference for the first time. In 20 years. They're already doing that. That's already on the line. And then Pfizer Forum, they got the t-shirts tonight. It's it's hopefully going to be rowdy. It's hopefully going to be loud. But when Malcolm Brogdon checks back in, my God. You might be able to hear the Pfizer Forum. You go down to Riverside Park. Go up on Granddad's Bluff. Cup around your ear a little bit. Even hear it through the rain. You might be able to hear it. It's going to be that loud at Pfizer Forum. And I do think that Malcolm Brogdon is going to serve as that energizer. Serve as just another uh, a bump to the crowd, bump to the team, bump to the coaches. Now, because he is going to be a shot in the arm for this team, which so far throughout the series doesn't really look like they need a shot in the arm, I thought they might sit. I thought they might wait. I, I thought if it's been this long, and he hasn't been back yet, I thought they might hold on to Malcolm Brogdon for another game or two. And I and I know that goes against everything I just said. I'll explain myself and tell you why I thought the Bucks were just going to hold on to that card a little bit longer. And, and then I realized, oh yeah. And then it hit me. Let's talk about that. Let's continue to talk about Malcolm Brogdon. Coming up next, this is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports. You're listening to WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for hanging out. We have a busy night ahead of us. We already tackled the Brewers today. We coached them to a win. Winning six in a row, including finishing the sweep of the Nationals today after previously sweeping the Mets. And now we got some more work to do. We got to get the Bucks to a to a five game series win. They're up on the Celtics as we speak, three to one. The Bucks game will be starting in about an hour and ten minutes. Bucks pregame starts at six thirty here on WKTY. Justin Garcia, Ted Davis, and everyone else on the Bucks Radio Network. You can hear him. However, you're listening right now. That'll do the trick. Malcolm Brogdon's going to be back tonight. That was the news of the day, even if it's in a small role off the bench and on a minutes restriction, and I will imagine he will not play, I, I don't know, 15 minutes maybe. George Hill's been so damn good. At, like You don't necessarily need, you're not scrambling to fill minutes right now. Uh, the Bucks are in a pretty good position. What's what's that, uh, the, the the expression about a quarterback, right? The, 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 the worst time to find a quarterback is when you need one. The worst time to draft a quarterback is when you need one. Well, think of that as a point guard. The worst time... To get a point guard is when you really, really need one. Well, the Bucks don't need one right now. They have two. They have Bledsoe and Hill. And Hill's been the best, one of the best point guards in the Eastern Conference so far in the Eastern Conference playoffs, which is just unreal and speaks to how crazy the NBA can be sometimes. He's been better than Kyrie. He's been better than, than Eric Bledsoe. So they don't need Malcolm Brogdon, but they're going to need him at some point in this playoffs if they continue to win, or at least I believe at some point they will. I thought they might hold off on bringing Malcolm Brogdon back. Here's why. I, I, after the last three games, I, I think the Bucks feel as though they have this series in hand. I think they feel pretty confident. I, I thought they might try to give Brogdon a little bit of rest, try to wait just a little bit longer, even though I think he's perfectly healthy from everything I read, and he doesn't need more rest. He needs to get back into the game. I thought the Bucks might hold on to Malcolm Brogdon just in case, and, and hang along with me. This is my thinking. Should the Bucks lose tonight, which I don't think is going to happen, this game will swing back to Boston. Now, all of a sudden, the Celtics are feeling pretty good. Maybe a little bit of pressure has now been applied to the Bucks. And let's say by some wild set of circumstances, the Bucks lose in, in, in Boston. And now we're going to Game 7, which is, this is way down the road, right? 
Well, now all of the momentum has swung into Boston's favor, and the pressure is now all on Milwaukee. Well, well, if that situation would to occur, which I don't think it will, but if it if it did, what do the Bucks do? What's the ace they have hidden up their sleeve? Well, they could bring Malcolm Brogdon back. Now, Malcolm Brogdon's impact on the court might not be huge, although I think he will be effective even before he shakes the cobwebs out just because of the player that he is. We've talked about that, right? Well, now all of a sudden you can say, hey, home crowd, look who's back, Malcolm Brogdon, and the place goes nuts, and it's just another shot in the arm. So I thought that they might hold on to Malcolm Brogdon as almost an ace in the hole just in case, just in case. And then I realized, and then I remembered, oh yeah, the Bucks think so little of the Celtics right now, they don't care. The Bucs are so confident in their ability to beat the Celtics in five games that they don't care. The Bucs aren't even considering booking, booking tickets to go back to Boston for game six. That's how confident they are. And that became very apparent the other night when to, when to me, when Kyrie Irving picked up his fifth foul late in the fourth quarter and the Bucs didn't even react. They didn't respond. Anytime an opposing player picks up a fifth foul in the fourth quarter, you target that player. You go at that player. You switch that player onto your ball handler and you attack and you see if you can't foul that player out. The Bucs didn't care. Ky- Kyrie Irving picked up his fifth foul and they didn't care. They laughed about it. They said, look, we're, we're going to win with you on or with you off the court. It really, it, we, You were not worth the effort it would take to set a screen, to switch, and to try to draw the foul. Have fun the next couple of minutes on defense. And the Bucs imposed their will regardless. Like, like, the Bucks think so little of the Celtics right now that I don't think they're worried about what could happen in Game 5, 6, or 7 because I think they're confident in their ability to go in tonight and to smack this Celtics team into oblivion. And I think this Celtics team, and I'm not the only one, I think this Celtics team is four quarters away from splintering. And if you don't follow the NBA, maybe outside of the Bucks, maybe you're not as familiar with the Celtics situation. They're bearing down on Kyrie Irving's free agency. He could very well be out the door. If they lose this series, I would imagine he is out the door, especially if they lose in Game 5 and, and this series continues to be ugly and embarrassing for the Celtics. Well, now if Kyrie Irving is gone, the Celtics aren't necessarily going to be in the cards and in the in the fold to trade for Anthony Davis because to get Anthony Davis, they're going to probably have to give up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They might have to include Terry Rozier, and they're certainly going to have to include picks. Well, now what are you left with? You're left with Al Horford, who's got a year left on his deal, and an expensive Gordon Hayward, who I think is going to rebound, who I think is going to improve next year, much like Paul George did a year after his return from that injury. But that ain't. But that's a, a long ways removed from a healthy Kyrie, a healthy Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who are just coming off a fantastic playoff run all the way to the Western Eastern Conference Finals last year. And, and, like... That team, compared to what this team could be in two months, is a night and day difference. And and there is contempt. I think there is frustration between the young players who did it without Kyrie last year and from Kyrie Irving. The comment that Kyrie made, we talked about it two days ago. Where where Kyrie's saying, yeah, I I took 22 shots, and and it was incredibly, incredibly incredibly inefficient. I should have shot 30. That's how good I am. Man. That's how good I am. I should have shot 30 times. Young players, the developing players are hearing that saying, what in the hell? What is this guy's deal? Like, this team's about to splinter. They they lay down and quit at the end of Game 4. Did you, did you watch the end of Game 4? If you watched it all the way to the end, you know what I'll, I'm exactly what I'm talking about. They quit on defense. This Celtics team laid down and quit. When you go in and you beat a home team twice on their own floor, you, you start, that team might not be mentally weak, 
but you basically force doubt upon that team. If they can't win a game at home, man, oh man, this team's this team's about to splinter. I, I, I'm, I this is a situation I'm I'm going to watch very closely. Inferno Orange chimes in on the five star telecom talking text line. Says, I think the box score did think. Uh, the, I think the box did think about Kyrie. Are, what are you saying here, Orange? I can't. Are you drunk? You say, but the Celtics would rather have him on the court and keep the dysfunction because he's got, man, that made no sense. I get what you're trying to say. First of all, let's get a round of applause for whatever the heck that said. I don't know if you're drinking already. If so, go Bucks. Hope you're enjoying yourself. I tried two or three times to read that. I have no clue what you're trying to say. I think you're claiming that the Celtics would rather have Kyrie Irving and deal with the dysfunction, deal with the drama, and I agree 100% because Kyrie Irving, minus the last three games, has been that good. Now, I'm sorry if that's not what you intended, but read read the message before you send it next time, man. I'm sorry. Celtics are going to splinter, I think, because Kyrie has just been a nightmare, and I do think Boston, regardless of the drama that he has caused, is going to try to resign him because he's that good, because he's a rare player who, at the end of the most important playoff games, can go get you a bucket. That shot that he hit against Golden State was big time, right? We all remember that from the finals a couple of years ago when they came back down from from a 3-1 deficit. Look, I... Kyrie is that good. He is a closer. He is a guy who at the end of the game really is, is is unmatched in this league. The problem is Milwaukee has been beating Boston's ass so strongly that it doesn't matter. That he hasn't had an opportunity to close. Doesn't have an opportunity to close. They have how many wins by double digits this year? It's absolutely unreal. It's like 45, 45 plus. Well, when you win by double digits, all of a sudden that big shot hitter, that big shot maker and taker at the end of the game becomes a lot less important because they don't have an opportunity to close. 6.30 pregame tonight, 7 o'clock first tip. You can hear it here on WKTY. Okay, Inferno, I get what you're saying now. You chimes back. The Bucs would rather have him on the court uh, so the Celtics' dysfunction continues. Okay, box, Bucks. I see. I see what went wrong. Thank you, Inferno, for clarifying. I think the Celtics are going to re- try to resign Kyrie because they're going to put up with the attitude. And I think the Bucks would rather have him on the... Like, look, they didn't care. Kyrie Irving picks up his fifth foul. The Bucks don't care. They're like, we don't care. Go to the bench. Stay out here. It doesn't matter to us. We're that much better. And there's a moment in a playoff series in most sports where another team just realizes that they're better. Think of it as like a Matrix moment, right? Where Neo just figures things out. I think it's very similar here. The Bucks just realize that they're better, and they're playing in a manner and with a style that just has no regard, no matter who's on the Bucks or who's on the court for the Celtics. It's unreal. I think we're going to be talking about a Bucks in five situation and the Bucks going back to the Eastern Conference Finals since I was three, the first time since I was three years old. I hope to be back talking about that tomorrow. Brewers got the day off. We'll prepare for the weekend series against the Cubs as well. A lot to talk about tomorrow. Same time, same place. Here on the Wisco Sports Show, I'll talk to you then.